Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media, your host for the Housing News Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nick Bailey, the CEO and president of Remax. This is a really phenomenal conversation that ties in a lot of the focus areas that we have right now at HW Media. We talk about inventory and these record low March and April numbers that, that we are seeing right now. We talk about Nick's career, developing a, a path inside of Remax, but also getting some exposure to the real estate tech ecosystem, which leads us into talking about M&A, one of my favorite topics, and the importance of moving quickly on integrations and decisions uh, shortly after an acquisition, both on the tech side as well as in the real estate brokerage ecosystem. And I'd be amiss to remind you that this episode is timed shortly after the launch of the Real Trends broker rankings, where Remax is ranked as a number three brand. Last year, the, the Remax brand in totality uh, did 255,000 sides with sales volume exceeding 111 billion. And if you haven't checked out this year's Real Trends rankings on realtrends.com yet, you're really going to be impressed with the digital presentation that we have, which gives a glimpse into brokerages, both both national and brand and franchise level and team data, which is coming soon. The new digital presentation with year over year performance and a glimpse into who's gaining market share and who's giving up market share. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nick Bailey. I certainly did. And I'm excited, really excited to see him on stage at the Gathering of Eagles this summer in June in Austin, Texas. Hope to see you there too. All right, Nick, good to see you on camera. How's everything going in your world? It's great. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad we got to catch up a little bit before turning the camera on. It sounds like you had a another interesting interview today, but uh, the this is a podcast. We're all recording video. Your other interview was for for Fox Business. Uh, how was that conversation? You know, it's good. It's uh, it's such a privilege to represent the Remax Network. Uh, to, to the world, I guess, on that platform and talk about the industry. And as you know, there's no shortage of headlines, whether it be interest rates or, you know, today was part of that or home prices where they're going. And then, of course, they like to give you with a one-two punch and hit me with affordability. So, you know, it's an interesting conversation, but it's things that buyers and sellers want to know. And so we're happy to be the voice and answer that for the industry. It is. It's interesting to think about the the role of the the president and the leader of a large real estate brokerage and um you have a you have a team that's distributed coast to coast and you have leaders coast to coast but you, it seems like a big part of your job is is public facing and communicating with the industry the media and and, and consumers like how do you how do you balance like that pretty important responsibility with also the the requirements of running strategy and finance and people and all the things that come with running a large organization. Yeah, it's balancing priorities for sure. But you know, I think when this industry, when you look at this industry, I just firmly believe it's such a relationship driven um, type of business. Whether it be the relationship the buyers and sellers have with their agents, the agents have with the brokers, agents and brokers have with us, and so I, I think it's important that we're out there and talking about what's happening. Because we do have an advantage. Uh, not only do we span the globe, 140,000 plus agents in 110 countries, but when we consider just the U.S., it's a big footprint. And so we have the luxury of being able to hear from every state and almost every corner of every market on what's happening, what's not happening, what's just a headline and what's truth. And we can kind of 
pile all that together and and the wonderful team that helps support me in doing that they make it pretty easy for me to just kind of be the puppet for the organization on 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 these type of media interviews but i do think it's an important part of what we do does the external comms strategy help you with internal communications as well? Like, do you get feedback loops from your your agents, not just in the U.S. but across the world, that hear you or see you on TV or on podcast, and that that helps them in their business? They do, and it's it's really less about me. It's uh, you know I'm the voice of it, and I understand that, but it's really more about the brand uh, because having agents that outsell two to one, um, you know, on the globe, we're very proud of the fact that nobody sells more real estate than Remax. And so when you have that type of production coming from that level of professionals, we are all ears and they definitely give us feedback on what they're seeing and hearing, but it's also, they're very, uh, they're very proud of the fact when they see their brand highlighted on media interviews as being the experts in the market, because we believe that, Many of our agents, because of their professionalism and experience, are the experts in their local market, and we just get to broadcast that on their behalf. So we we just dropped the the real trends rankings a few weeks ago, and when this when this podcast drops, and I'm not sitting in front of the the productivity numbers right now, but I am looking at like the the national numbers for 2022, which we just released. So Remax, which um, includes the the 63 brokerages that you're reporting on are um, we're third in the country with 255 sides for franchises and a sales volume of over over 111 billion. Um, I love those numbers, but I want to dig into that metric you just mentioned of the the two to one on on sales volume. That's not a metric that I that I know inside now. So so give us a glimpse into what you're talking about when you reference that two to one. Yeah, really referring to transactions that the average Remax agent outsells two to one of the next largest brokerage competitor. And so that means that they're selling twice as much real estate as their next closest competitor on average. And something that's interesting, um, we absolutely love the list that you put out, by the way, and we're very proud of all the offices and agents that work so hard and get that recognition because recognition in this business is important. And as we do so, we get questioned all the time because there are a lot of different business models out there. There are companies that are brokerages in one market, there are brokerages in a state. We now have national brokerages where we're actually a brand. All of our offices are independently owned and operated. And so the way we kind of count these numbers can be, is it by brokerage? Is it by brand? Um, and so that that actually plays into the numbers too. But we take it for all agents affiliated with, say, one company or one brand when we talk about that two to one. Yeah, the complexity of the the structure of brokerages and franchises across the country is uh makes rankings very challenging business and methodology to run. I know our team, led by Mark Adams and Tracy Velt, and with the guidance of Steve Murray, puts a lot of effort into making sure we're comparing apples to apples and actually taking into account the franchise and brand structures. So I, I want to stay on that productivity metric a little bit. Has Remax and have, have you put an effort to attract more productive agents or have you enabled average agents to become more productive? Like how has this like metric come to be? As we as we're celebrating 50 years in 2023 that Remax has been around, it really started with our foundation. And of course, most people know 50 years ago, Dave and Gail Leninger, our co-founders, revolutionized the economic model for agents. And you know, at the time, a 50-50 split was the average. And to come out and say, hey, how about you take home all of your commissions and help share in the overhead of running the company? 
put your name on the yard sign because it's your business. And it really revolutionized how real estate is conducted at the agent level today. But as a result, that has come through in everything that we do. We kind of have a litmus test uh, here at Remax that all the employees know, which is we wake up every day and say, what are we doing as a brand and brand leaders to make sure that our agents can get another buyer or seller? And how can our offices grow their company? And those are the two filters that we run everything through. And so over that 50 years, as we think about, we've attracted top producers and the reality is top producers like to hang out with other top producers. So they attract like kind. And yet if you come in and maybe you're not the top producer in your market, then it's about tools, education, surrounding yourself by the right people. And that's what helps you actually increase your business. And so it's, it's yes, education, it's the tools and services that we uh, put together to provide. But I think more importantly, it's the culture. And it's the culture that started 50 years ago that continues to live on today that we are really focused on agents being top producing uh, professionals in their local market. Most trusted agents, most productive. Um, the average Remax agent has over 15 years of experience where the industry is only an average of seven. And, and so those things, I believe, are just driven by the culture that we've created. That's the average agent experience. Another really interesting metric. That's um, how do you balance the like that experience level while also trying to grow by adding new agents to the ecosystem? Like, do do fresh faces who don't have experience selling real estate do well inside of Remax, or do you have more success recruiting that experienced agent into the into your brokerages? I know you're not doing that at the brand level, but. Yeah, no, no, that's a good question though. And I know exactly what you mean. It's a little bit of both because we do have, we have more agents that come into the system that do have some level of experience. And that obviously shows in our numbers and the data. However, uh, we do have agents that are say newly licensed and maybe join a team, uh, join a team leader that team leaders are all about um, focusing on training and productivity and leadership of agents. But we also have some offices and it, it, it varies by office. But we have some offices that focus heavily on training or bringing in um, some people that are newer to the business. So as long as the resources are there to train people the right way and focus on their growth, um, absolutely, they can uh, they can be successful in Remax. In fact, I was just talking with a team leader yesterday, and he started with us almost 25 years ago, never been with anyone different, and uh, is in what we call our diamond club, over a million dollars in gross commission income. And does a phenomenal business and runs a, a team of about eight agents. And just a phenomenal story of someone that started with Remax, loves the brand and loves where they've taken their business and, and started with us. So yeah, it can be done. So when you think about the incentive structures of, of different brokerage models, it sounds like the Remax model where... The, the model that that Dave brought to market of a hundred percent agents keep a hundred percent of the commission but share in the cost of running the brand is a model that attracts the the productive agent at, at a certain level where models where it's you know straight commission there's no not an expense for an unproductive agent to stick around in the profession or inside of a brokerage for longer than they should your model kind of weeds out the low producers by design right 
It does. The model is kind of what we call it is self-cleansing. There are a lot of agents, you know, out of 1.6 million realtors, there are hundreds of thousands that do zero deals that just hang a license or uh, several hundred thousand that only sell two or three homes a year. They help a family member or a neighbor once in a while. And we're just not designed necessarily to support someone that dabbles in real estate. We're really, our, our design, our tools, services, everything that we focus on are really more designed on a full-time professional that uh, this is their career, um, their full-time career. And that's by, that's not by accident um, um, for sure. So it just, but it depends. I, I think that we always say that we're not the home for every single agent uh, where there are some companies out there that they are supporting agents that maybe only sell one or two houses a year. Uh, it doesn't make maybe one right or wrong. It just makes it different. And our focus just happens to be on those that really want to grow their business to be a full-time professional. That's an interesting position in this market. I think the, the market is going through a cleansing stage where there will be, we anticipate there'll be significantly less real estate professionals and on the mortgage side of the house, less mortgage originators than there were last year. They will, they'll be self-cleansing and people will self-select out of the industry. And I I wonder in your model, if it's not as pronounced, like the cleansing is not as pronounced because it already happens by business model or if, um, or if it happens anyway, how, how do you think about like how this market dynamic, the, the cleansing effect of washing out the dabblers? Um, I had another podcast recently where there were dabblers came up and like nobody needs advice from a part-timer or a dabbler. They need the professional. So I, I, I don't hate the idea of self-cleansing some of the dabblers out. Well, I think if you ask, whenever I'm in front of a room of agents in this industry, no matter what brand um, over years, the barriers of entry are low. That's just the reality. Um, the barriers of entry are low, but the barriers to success are very high. Uh, statistically, 87% of agents to get a real estate license don't have it five years later. And so I, I, a lot of people I've seen, hey, this is a get rich. It's an easy business. I get a fancy car, nice clothes. And, and they realize that it's, it's hard work. And, uh, and, and so even though the barriers of entry are low and that's the way that they will likely continue, that means that we're going to continue to see people that say, Hey, I'm going to give this a try. And you look at the number of agents that have joined the business just even in the last three years during the pandemic and people were having layoffs, especially in hospitality and some other sectors. And then they look around and say, Oh, Hey, how about I get a real estate license and give that a try? And the market was hot enough, as most people know, that people could be order takers and do okay. But when it comes down to a more balanced market where people really have to look and hunt for the business and engage with their sphere and have the right marketing uh, and the right tools, that's when you find out uh, who has staying power. If you take it just to the simplest terms, here's how I like to put it, that if you take, say, an average Remax agent, average, say, earns $150,000 a year. Uh, and the average in the industry is 45, if the market contracts by 25 or 30% on transactions, which many markets have, agents that have been in the business and seen other sides of a market, they've worked in a buyer's market, if their income drops by uh, a closing or two, they'll still be in business next year. They know how to adjust. And But if you're, if you're trying to make this business a go, say on $40,000 a year gross commission income and your income drops to 25000 that may be the difference in whether, you're, whether you turn your license back or not. But there's something fundamental about all of this. I firmly believe that the reason that 87% of their agents give their license back to the state, they don't run back and say, hey, Clayton, I got to give my license back because I couldn't make my split with my broker work. But yet those... 
there's so many out there that it's a race to the bottom that that's where their competitive value proposition goes. Where I think what this market is showing is people are looking for clients. They're looking for transactions and they're looking for closings. And that's what this business really comes down to is if you're successful as an agent, you sell a lot of houses. You don't necessarily save 25 bucks a month. And so it's just a totally different lens that you look through when you think about productivity is what you need to do to be successful. Yeah. So looking, I was looking through the real trends rankings at, at some of the specific brokerages. And I noticed that there's a bunch like uh Remax gold that grew sides and volume in, in 2022 compared to 2021, where there's a market where a lot of brokerages, um, you know, had the, had the opposite of that. I saw volume decline significantly in, in 2022. Can you go into some of the, um, the best practices that you're seeing in some of your most productive brokerages that are helping those um, top performing agents and top performing team leaders continue to grow volume in a market environment that's just been hard? Um, support is probably number one. I think that uh, agents are looking for support and education more right now and have been in the last six months than they probably did a couple of years before. Um, not speaking about Remax Gold specifically, but I'll give you a great example when you talk about growth on sides and transactions. Literally, you talk about doing video just today, did a congratulatory video for an office here in Colorado, and they grew by leaps and bounds um, in 2022. And they did it a couple of ways. One, organic growth of going out in the market and uh, inviting agents to join their company that were like-minded entrepreneurs that wanted to grow their productivity. Uh, they also went out and merged with a fellow Remax office so that they both became stronger in the market. And then the additional way is they went out and acquired an independent. And so three different ways of growing. But I think the key to answer your question is they looked at growing in three ways. It's not just one dimensional. And so as offices think about growth, that's where we're pushing and looking at 2023. You can grow through conversions, mergers, acquisitions, organic agent, one agent at a time, expanding with teams. And so I, I think if you, if you look around and think about growth in a much bigger dynamic way, those are the companies that we saw grow in 2022. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Kind of the, the multi-pronged approach to growth. We're definitely seeing that in the in the mortgage industry right now as well. Um, not uh, not exactly the same, but definitely seeing a multi-pronged approach between recruitment and M and A and other consolidation mechanisms. So, um, Nick, I want to like let's let's talk a little bit about the the industry dynamics that that we're facing right now through Altos Research. We've been kind of watching the. Uh, kind of somewhat disappointing news that we don't see inventory really rebounding in Q1. We've been waiting for that for um, kind of each week since mid-January. And we're still kind of like fluttering around lows around 415, 420,000 active listings in the United States right now. How are your, how are your agents kind of countering this extremely low volume? And, and then we'll kind of dig into what you're anticipating next quarter. Well, there are a couple of things. You're, you're right. Inventory is still so low. And that tells us one thing. Demand continues to be high. It's estimated that there's between four and a half and five million homes that were short in the US. I just saw a report uh, this last week that there was one organization that said we're six and a half million homes short. We've got the big millennial population, Gen Z right behind them that are the largest populations that we've seen in our country, bigger than the boomers, and they're driving household formation. And I always take it kind of back to 
just the easy part of our business, which is we overcomplicate it. The reality is people buy homes. Um, they don't time the market in the way that the headlines talk about. They time the market when it's good for them. And I was asked earlier um, today something about buyers timing the market and wish they would have got in when interest rates. And I said, wait, you got to realize there may be people that are ready to buy today because two years ago they hadn't saved enough on the down payment. And so people time the market when it's good for them. And it's certainly driven by lifestyle events uh, or life events. It's getting married, having children, uh, maybe a new job, divorce, moving closer to take care of a loved one. All of these scenarios are what drive our business ultimately. And so I don't believe that the average home buyer, quote, times the market. But as a result of that, um, the statistic that was interesting to me, and back to your question uh, about inventory, which is uh, right now it's estimated 90% of homeowners have an interest rate less than 5%. And of those 50% are less than three and a half. And so what we're seeing is the move up buyers are totally sitting back and on the sidelines. First time home buyers that are ready to enter the market, they've got opportunities with um, different mortgage products, uh, first-time home buyer type products, low down payment, lower interest rate. It's not all just about the 30-year fixed. But um, new construction is not coming out of the ground fast enough. It's taken a decade to ramp up and we're not seeing it. So you've got the move-up buyers that are saying, I'm good for right now. Um, and they likely will be for a period of time. For some, it might be years. For others, it might be 6, 12, 18, or 24 months. But there is a point at which you may have bought your first home and it may be two bedroom and you find out you're having twins. All of a sudden, you're 3% interest rate. You're going to find a house that's going to be, uh, you may have to pay a higher interest rate, but it's going to be better for your family. And so those things will start to happen. But I think we shoved a lot through the funnel during the pandemic with move up buyers. And now they're saying, well, I don't have to move this year in 23. And that's why we'll see things bump along. Uh, but those, in, until we get more inventory on the market, it's not going to dramatically change affordability. It's not going to dramatically change interest rates on the 30-year fixed. And so that's why I think this year we'll bump along. We'll have bright spots when mortgage rates drop, um, whether it be for a few weeks or a couple of months. But I think we'll bump along throughout the year. And then I think uh, we'll start to see the Fed get inflation under control. I think toward the end of this year, we'll see some pressure on the fact that housing makes up 18 to 20 percent of GDP in the U.S. And they're going to say, OK, let's bring rates down and get some activity going. Yeah. So the the first time home buyers can't time the market. They're the ones that their life, their life events time the market. But we know that um, the housing market doesn't operate without existing housing inventory come into, coming into play. So it's those buyers, those move-up buyers that are sitting on the sidelines that are the, the real constraint we have on, um, on the activity that we expect to see in meeting the demand that's in the market right now. So how are, how are agents, how are you helping agents stay focused on the right activities to nurture these potential move-up buyers? So when they're ready, they are calling a REMAX agent. And uh, I imagine that's got to be a relatively frustrating point that some of these um, move up buyers that like relationships and databases have been built to, to nurture and help move up over the years just are staying put a lot longer than they used to. So I th two things that um, we've been recommending for the last couple of months is one, get close to your sphere because the truth is buyers and sellers need their agent more in this market on advice probably than they did the last year or two. And I think a lot of 
sphere and databases and connections that people have because the market was so frenzied and agents were so busy. A lot of those um, databases got ignored. And so now is the time to lean in. And as we're telling agents, there are people that want to list their home. And as we come into the spring market, I know in my neighborhood alone, which is not a very large neighborhood, I've seen a couple of coming soons just in the last week. I saw a moving truck down the street, which had no sign in front of the yard, uh, which it just shows that people will continue to move. I tell everyone, I know one thing for sure that's going to happen in 2023. People are going to buy and sell houses. I've been licensed for 28 years in this business. And regardless of interest rates, forget inflation, economies, recessions, people have bought and sold houses every single year in my 28 years that I've been licensed. And it will happen this year too. And so we've got to be in tune with uh, our sphere, our database, and our referrals. And we have to go out and find those people that are interested in listing. Whereas, say, the last couple of years, people were just waving the flag and saying, hey, I'm ready to list. They were standing out on the street saying, I'm ready to list my house. And so we're coming back into really more of a rebalanced, normal type of scenario uh, where people don't just raise their hand, you've got to go find them. And so that's one. Number two is whenever I've seen market contractions like this in terms of number, number of uh, deals being done, agents stop marketing. And I think that's a very dangerous position. And I equate it back and I tell the story to agents. Remember whether you've been licensed for two years, 20 years, or five decades, what was the first thing that you invested in when you got your real estate license? It was marketing. You got signs, you got business cards, flyers, websites. You wanted to tell the world you were in real estate in your market. And what happens is it's generally the first thing that agents start cutting. And so we're telling our agents, yes, marketing can be expensive, but it doesn't have to. This is where you can leverage the scale of Remax and the tools and the services because we have a lot of those things that are provided at no additional cost. Um, CRM, database, marketing center, design center, these things that are crucial to agents' business. And you've got to lean into that and make sure you're the loudest person in your farm area or your market, because as people will continue to buy and sell, agents that disappear, furlough themselves, stop spending on marketing, people are going to forget they're in real estate. And so I think the smartest thing that an agent can do in this market is get as loud as you can, use the resources you can. Uh, and of course, we like to say, be with a company like ours that provides a lot of that so that you can have the best chance of getting that buyer or seller when they're ready to go. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register.
What do you suggest agents get loud about? So like they're in a market where they might be listing constrained. What voice should they have in their farm? What voice should they have in their sphere of influence? Is it, is it housing data, um, market insights? Like what are the most successful agents talking about in their marketing efforts? I think it's personalized connection with the client. Um, I, I think that today, well, let's rewind. I'll give you an example. 10 years ago, I think it was okay to send out that once a month newsletter, uh, you know, the Nick Bailey Remax, here's the newsletter on what's happening in real estate. And it was just kind of an automated keep in touch that came through email. I don't think that's what consumers want. I think in all of our daily lives, whether we shop, uh, where we go, whether it's online in a local market, we want experiences as consumers and we want them to be personalized to us. And what I buy via Amazon may be totally different from what you buy. But when I go on, I want my experience to really cater to who I am and what my needs are. And I think the agents that are in tune with their database and their clients and who they know and not afraid to say, hey, I'm in real estate. Do you know anyone that's thinking about buying and selling? Um, that's what I mean by getting loud. And so keep your experiences personalized to the client. Some clients are analytical. They want to see how much their house is appreciated or not, or what interest rates are doing if they buy at certain rates. And others are, by the way, we're expecting a child in three months and we need another bedroom. So it all depends on the client. And when you show up and find out the needs of those uh, specific people based on what they're looking at, that's when you win them. That's when you win. And that's where I go back to this as a relationship-driven business. We've always known that there's not really a national housing market. It's a, a, a combination of, of hundreds of, of local markets or, or thousands of, of zip codes where markets move differently. And I feel like one of the more challenging parts of this market for loan originators and real estate agents is being able to bring local knowledge to, to clients and prospects and help diffuse um, confusion off of like national level headlines. And if you're following the national housing market, depending on if you're on the East Coast or the West Coast or in Dallas or in Plano, it is a very different dynamic in, in each location. So do you feel like in this market where real estate is getting a lot of attention and like, hey, here at Housing Wire at Real Trends, we cover real estate 365 days a year, every market year in, year out. But we are seeing publications and news outlets and newspapers suddenly put real estate on the front page where it hasn't been in a really long time, which is bringing consumer attention to um, national headlines that, that might not necessarily reflect what's happening in their market. What's the agent's role in helping educate and diffuse like national confusion versus local uh, reality. I couldn't agree with you more. There's no such thing as a national market. And even if we took every zip code, I'd probably argue I take the zip code I live in. Uh, the neighborhood across the street is very different from the neighborhood I live in. I mean, this is, it can be to a microcosm of a four block radius. Um, and so I do 100% believe that it's the local market. And that's where the local expert comes in. And this is where I believe that the agent needs to be the voice of reason to combat some of these national headlines. Here's an example. As we see interest rates, short-term uh, interest rates that the feds you know, keep making these increases, most buyers don't realize that uh, mortgage rates are based on the 10-year treasury. And you look at investors are investing in that direction, and that can drive down the, the uh, mortgage rates while at the same time the short-term interest rates go up. And so that's an example of being the voice of reason, looking at the fact that you can do buy-downs of interest rates. 
Some buyers, especially if you're a first-time home buyer, may not know what that means. Adjustable rate mortgages, those were more than 35% of the market pre-pandemic. They dropped to single digits, and now they're roaring back. And so it's the idea that I, I try to, when I'm speaking with our agents, say, by the way, connection with your database is easier now than it's ever been since I've been in this business for almost three decades because of this little thing. And you can connect with your database in seconds. And so when you see a national headline, to your point, that it's not a national market, um, you can flip a, flip open a video and do a quick 20 second and say, hey, if you're a buyer out there and you're seeing the nightly news or the front page of the Wall Street Journal and all this stuff about interest rates and affordability, by the way, you might still be a buyer. Because you may not be paying more than list price. You may be a first-time home buyer and have a low down payment or a low interest rate or take advantage of an arm or do a buy down. That's where I believe the local expert comes in. And some markets are still appreciating. Uh, there are a couple of markets that are high single digits. There are some that the prices are falling at higher levels. And so it's really dependent on that local, hyper-local neighborhood market expert to say, if you want to buy or sell and you want to either buy here or you want to sell here, here's what's going on. Um, and here's what the demand is. Our demand in Colorado is off the charts um, and continues to be. Um, I just sold a property of mine here in Colorado just last week. And if I told somebody that last week I got three offers within six hours of it being listed and um, nearly a hundred thousand over asking, people would say I'm crazy, but that's the dynamic of that local market. That's phenomenal. I, I, and I love the the message that you kind of created there on giving, um, this may still be a good time to buy based on your situation. It, it makes me kind of cringe a little bit when I listen to some of the agent social media out there that talks about Jerome Powell and goes a little bit too deep into like the, the industry messaging and doesn't tell the consumer why it matters to them and like relate it back to them. The most important person in the transaction, the only person that matters, the person who is, is buying and selling. And, uh, I yearn for the day where Jerome Powell, our fed secretary is not a household name. <laughs> no, I agree. And, and, um, you know, when we talk about rates and you mentioned mortgages, this is also an example of, I think we're starting to refill the refi pipeline. I mean, we totally emptied that funnel out for a couple of years and so you will see people that uh, buy homes and rates, if they go down next year, will have an opportunity to refi. Um, and it also depends on their, their circumstance. And uh, I, I absolutely think that there couldn't be a better saying than the cliche in our industry that you marry the house and you date the rate. And that's what's happening right now. And as long as people go in, they, they, they want to know, um, do I have enough for the down payment? Can I afford the payment? And I, I think back to when I bought my first house and uh, I graduated high school before I went to college and I was 18. I bought my first house. I didn't know what interest rates were. I didn't know what they were the year before. I didn't know if they were high or if they were low. Um, I went to a lender and qualified for 3% down, which I could afford that. And I think the interest rate was around six and a half percent and I could afford the, the house payment. And so I bought a house. I had no clue about all these other things that you and I get to talk about because we've got history and live it every single day. But that's what I, I truly think the vast majority of homeowners and home buyers really look at. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people in our industry would be better off to forget some of the some of the history. Forget the two point six five percent interest rates. Forget some of the great financial crisis. There's some there's some real scar tissues out there that I think hold people back sometimes. Let me give you, let me give you this one. This one's fun. I, because interest rates have been all over. I looked up a chart. I was born in 1975. 
I, I looked from the time I was born, it took till I was uh, graduating high school. It was like June of 1993. And it was the first time in my first 18 years that I was alive, that interest rates had dipped below 9% on a 30 year mortgage. And so you think for almost two decades, no one knew what it was like to have a 30 year mortgage that unless you did a buy down less than 9%. And we get all upset that we're sitting at six or six and a half today. Um, now you could argue, by the way, the price of housing has gone up. And so it's disproportionate, but I, I think what it is, is we're just coming off of these record lows and people will have short memories. And the farther we get away from two and a half and 3% interest rates, the more consumer confidence they'll have in paying six, seven, or eight, and they'll focus on affordability versus the actual rate. Yeah, absolutely. So on the topic of mortgages, Nick, you lead the real estate side of Remax. Remax Holdings also owns Motto Mortgage. Tell us a little bit about the relationship, how you work across the organization. Love to learn more about how that how that works in practice. Yeah, the Motto Mortgage brand uh, has been incredible for us. You know, it's celebrated five years since it started up last year. And it's one of a kind in the US. It is a franchise mortgage operation. And I have a colleague, Ward Morrison. He's the president and CEO of Motto Mortgage. And so we work very closely together. And Motto is really independent from Remax. Now, there are uh, Remax companies that are involved in Motto. There are non-Remax companies, independents, or either, even other um, brand affiliates that are involved in Motto Mortgage. But uh, something that's been really important about uh, our mortgage relationship with with the industry is the fact that even during the pandemic, um, 60% of our business was um, new sale originations. And it wasn't all refi like some of these big national players. And because of that, Model Mortgage is about having a mortgage company side by side with the brokerage or the agents in their local market, and they're serving home buyers. And so it's not just dial into this big national company and do a refi. It's really about having local loan officers at the local level with a local real estate professional working together to help find solutions for the buyer. And so the, 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 the marrying of the two brands under the holdings umbrella is a beautiful thing because we really focus on serving the local community where both the brokerage and the mortgage operation are located. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting model. Thanks for giving us a little look behind the scenes there. So coming coming back to the the agent operation side, th- this summer you're joining us at the Gathering of Eagles in Austin to talk about uh, in-house tech platforms. And I was doing a little research on kind of the, the Remax history of tech platforms, which I think makes you uniquely qualified to talk on this topic. So in, in the history of Remax, the, the business has acquired a tech platform and then then chose an external partner. Tell us about that that evolution and then how at the brand level you influence and enable uh, your your brokerages. Yeah. Uh, so we're really excited about this. We're right in the midst of the US launch um, of Max Tech. It's, it's uh, powered by KB Core, which is inside real estate. And we announced last summer that we would start the rollout all across US and Canada in Q4 of last year. And this brings on, uh, you know, smart database, listing presentations, CMA tools, uh, full team platform, and design center. And all of this is Remax branded with this partner. 
but we offer it totally free to all agents in the U.S. and Canada. And we have circumstances where agents or teams are spending five, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year on some of these platforms um, to really help drive their business. And so we're really excited about the partnership. And uh, we started the launch in the U.S. two months ahead of time, the first week in January, uh, and rolling through that pretty quickly here in Q1. Uh, we did acquire uh, some tech companies several years ago. And I think when the reality comes down to it, we realized um, about a year and a half ago that we're not a software company, that we need to partner with people that are world-class at what they do. And we stay world-class in what we do. And you marry the two together and that's how you create a good formula. But for me personally, this this is, I, I, I look through a different lens and here's why. Um, a lot of people know I was at Remax for a long time. I've been a bro, an agent, a broker, and I, I left Remax for a period of uh, seven years. I was here for about 11 and I went to market leader and that was acquired by Trulia for $344 million. And it was a portal purchasing a CRM website lead gen company and putting it together. And then, of course, everyone knows the story. Zillow acquired Trulia, and we kind of merged all the businesses into one. But along the way, here's what I saw happen. I saw big brokerages and big brands that had purchasing power start to acquire companies and fold them into their operations. And I won't name all of those that happened, but it started this domino effect of, oh, we have to own our own tech in order to have proprietary competitive type of needs. And people went down by feature set. Well, our tech does has this feature. So that's why you should join us. I just think that so much of the technology today is table stakes. Um, there are just necessary components on what you have, whether you, for example, whether you have DocuSign or .loop, you could debate which platform somebody likes better. But the reality is they're an e-signature platform that agents use for their efficiency and co consumers expect for their experience. And so that's what I think we're getting into is people can still compare and contrast tool sets. But th uh, the reality is I don't think a lot of brokerages and brands will find themselves wanting to be in the software business. I don't think there's enough that gives you a competitive advantage um, that will offer the ability to stay ahead of where the market's going. The only thing moving faster than real estate is tech. Yeah, absolutely. Tech is moving fast. And uh, I think there's like across the whole ecosystem, there's been this realization that having proprietary technology doesn't mean you have to be a software company. You can have a proprietary technology stack that like enables the operations of your business that combines multiple best of breed solutions. And, um, We've been really close with the the independent mortgage bank side of the the house on like learning about their tech stacks over the years, and everybody has a technology team at this point. They're building something, but their most important thing they're building is interconnectivity between multiple platforms so they can operate in the ecosystem. So they're still relying on best of breed partners to bring point solutions into the stack, and it sounds like that's similar to the play that the 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 best brokerages are bringing forward too. Like they are finding best of, best of breed tools, but not writing the code for each piece of the, the pie. I mean, there is a, uh, each piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And you're right because here's what it comes down to. The average agent logs in be to between seven and 12 systems to run their business. And agents don't want that. Uh, they, 
How do you make, how do you put those together? Well, how do you remember the passwords for all of them? Let's just start there. Um, you know, it's, but yeah, how do they integrate out? And APIs are a wonderful thing. Uh, and, and trust me, we still have some of those, some proprietary type tools here that we're integrating into the Max Tech platform. And so I think there's an opportunity that when I say you don't have to be a software per, uh, company, we don't have to own the entire stack. We don't have to own every single component. I think you bring in the big pieces with world-class partners, and then we do have some proprietary things that we will integrate, but the word integrate means expensive and a lot of resources. Most people don't realize that. And so when you start figuring out how to weave them together in the right way, I think that's when you come up with a, uh, a winning solution. This is a helpful conversation for me, Nick. Um, I think you're probably aware we acquired Altos Research in December, and part of our our dev path, which Mike Simonson and his team are working on right now is our API prioritization. And we are, we are like direct connection API with several of the industry CRMs, but we have some, some more to go, which I think will make us a more impactful partner on the Alto side to the agents who want that single sign on integrated experience and don't want to log into their, their in-house CRM platform and then have a separate login for Altos and the other half a dozen solutions they use. So that is, um, that, that's a helpful topic for me to, to hear your perspective on because it's like directly impacting our, our queue. It is. And there are two things that I would say. One is it's, it's more than a single sign on. Uh, because there are a level of integration of data points that go back and forth. Like, for example, I've seen tools that, yes, single sign-on is easy today. But, for example, uh, people don't want their database in multiple areas. They want a single source on a database. And let that single source database feed all of these other components. Where uh, I've seen companies and brokerages that, uh, and we had it before making this announcement where you can single sign on to different tools, but it was drop your database here, drop your database here. And that's not efficient for the agent. But the second thing that I think I've witnessed over probably the last 10 or 12 years since I went to the tech and portal side for a while, um, companies that make acquisitions, the vast majority of them aren't good at integration. They don't do it fast enough and they don't figure out what do they need to stop doing in order to get the things to start working together. And I think if companies would move as fast as they can on integration and be okay with stopping some things, they could likely find themselves more successful in putting or weaving together these different platforms. It, does that concept of stopping certain processes or, or products also apply in the, the real estate brokerage M&A space? Like, do you ever see um, brokerages do acquisitions and realize like, hey, you both have processes for this, or you both have capabilities for this, we need to pick a, the best one or like, like, how does that flow into your world? Absolutely. And, and here's what I think drives it is people in general don't like change. Even people that say they like change don't like change. We're, we're, as humans, we're kind of routine type of people. And so, yes, even when brokerages make acquisitions uh, with other companies and say, you've got this platform, uh, one of the first things they do because people don't see it except for staff is, say, accounting software integration. They don't want to run two sets of books for a company. They immediately move to, well, we've got to be efficient on how we collect our revenue and how we uh, pay, our, pay our bills. And that's an example, though, of if they would think of that same mindset of kind of the back end side for what they do on the front end with their tools and services that maybe their agents use or consumers use, 
they could move much quicker in getting people aligned and working on the same platform. But it's that fear of, well, I don't want to create change for people, especially for agents, because they might leave uh, versus kind of tearing the Band-Aid off and saying, but this solution as a whole is going to benefit you and here's why. And this is why we're going to move very quickly through it. What I found is, yes, agents don't like change, but they also don't like to sit through change for a year or two. If we're going to make a change, let's make it in days or a couple of weeks and let's move on. So you mentioned that you left Remax for a period of time and came back. And if I if I recall correctly, you came back with the announcement of the acquisition of of Remax Integra, correct? Uh, that was a couple of years later. I I can't believe that I've been back. It'll be four years uh, at the end of this summer. And so uh, Integra, yes, five uh, five provinces in Canada, nine states in the U.S. all came under the company owned and operated umbrella. Uh, but that will be two years in July. So that was about halfway through coming back. But they were an independent operation for us for decades, uh, one of our most successful. And that was a pretty pretty big deal to bring um, that many areas and agents under the company owned and operated umbrella. In that type of acquisition where um, they were already a, a, a Remax brand, was that was that a deal where there was things that needed to like instantly change, or was that like a little more seamless, just given the the history and the nature of the the deal? Well, two parts. One is yes, they were Remax, so they're operating as Remax, and we're Remax, so all the branding and all that stays consistent, which can be a challenge if if that's not the case. But there was just as much on the back end with systems and tools and process that we had to address, even if they were non Remax. Uh, because they were an independent region, they had different technology partners. And so when we came into it, we made very uh, quick moves on consolidating staff of shared resources and those things where you can get efficiencies. Where we also had to move very quickly is the decision. And, and this was partly what drove our decision with Max Tech and, and the partnership with Inside Real Estate is it was a good way for us to get the entire U.S. and Canada, all but Quebec, on the same platform um, in a very efficient manner. In a very efficient manner. So not only did we announce the acquisition in July of Integra, it was only one year later uh, that we announced the partnership with Inside Real Estate to cover both countries. And so we realized that we had the same issue as anyone in that acquisition, that we had to put tools and systems and services and communications uh, and efficiencies in place. But I believe that part of the success with the, with the largest acquisition in our 50-year history was Integra was by doing exactly that. Move quick and find out how we can get everyone on a similar platform as fast as we can. Uh, I, I think we can wrap on that, Nick. We started with talking about how quickly the real estate market moves. We end with how quickly you need to move an M&A. I think speed is the name of the game. Even in this market that doesn't feel so fast right now, speed's the name of the game. And uh, I hope that's a message that all of our audience members can carry into their businesses. I, I totally, I have a, a kind of a motto that people know me around here, which is move fast. Hashtag move fast. People know that if you get something from Nick, it probably is a let's do it, but move fast. And I am okay that if we stub our toe a little bit, I certainly don't want to break a leg. Uh, but if we stub a toe or break a toe once in a while, that's okay. I think that moving fast versus moving perfect is always better. Good and done, much better than perfect and not. That is my, that's one of my mottos. Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed speaking with you. And I'm excited to see you in person at the Gathering of Eagles this summer. I, I am as well. Thanks for having me. See you in Austin. Bye.
Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.